Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank you for joining me today. Today we have a special conversation with Angel Deer. Angel Deer is a shaman. He is a real medicine man. And we definitely share some common interests. I have been personally becoming more and more drawn to connecting with nature over these last few years. And it seems like this is a parallel path where Angel has really been on a long, deep dive in building connection with nature and finding all the different ways it could offer its medicine for us. There is a wealth of understanding, it seems, in his mind, and he has a lot to offer. And I'm hoping that this is the first of many conversations with Angel where he could spread his gift. And with our listening, we could maybe find something that we could build on in our own practice and find a way to build a stronger connection with earth in our own life and as we put together our own lifestyle. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you want to find out more about how to reach out to Angel, just stick around and at the end of the episode, we'll fill you in with that info. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to this episode. Today I have a special guest. Um, his name is Angel Deer, and it seems like he is a specialty in a lot of things that I'm not just interested in, but just really curious about. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I find it hard to believe that in one conversation, we're going to be able to get uh, all the info that I'm personally interested in this. So maybe there'll be a part two in the future. But Angel in 2015 opened the Sanctuary Healing Center, which is in the Catskills. And it seems like he was formerly in like the corporate world, which he'll get into. And now he is a, a medicine man. He practices shamanism, plant medicine, medical Reiki, uh, Sufi healing, sound healing, meditation, herbalism. And these things are really in line with what the mindful movement is about. The mindful movement, you know, is here to empower people on their self-healing journeys. And, you know, all of these modalities seem to really offer a great tool for allowing the body to kind of get on course with its own self-healing and support its system. So I'm really interested in, in hearing more about these. Uh, and Joe, if you don't mind, just introduce yourself to the audience. Yes. Good morning. Well, very nice meeting you, brother. Uh, glad to be here. And thank you for inviting me on your beautiful podcast. And I had a chance to look a little bit at what you're doing. And there's definitely a lot of alignment and a lot of uh, shared vision here. So I live on a beautiful land in the Catskill, which is uh, upstate New York, a couple of hours from New York City. Uh, and we have a shamanic healing center. And uh, I'm a medicine man, so I work with plants. So plant medicine and ancestral ways of healing. So we, and what I would call nature-based practices in general. So using nature and using ancestral healing as a way to, to reconnect to our better self, the one that feels good, that feels grateful, that feels happy, balanced, nurtured, 
Um, so that's what we, we do here. And that's what I've been doing uh, now in the past uh, 10 years. Did you have to go through some of your own like self-healing to, to find yourself in this? Or was this, these practices kind of handed down to you? How did you get to this position that you're in now? Well, I definitely always had this deep connection to nature. Uh, that's something that was very present with me, even when I was very little. Uh, I was very curious about the mystery, I guess, uh, that is present in uh, living beings around me, leaves and trees and plants and rivers, animals. Uh, but I took a detour, <laughs> like some many people do, you know, from our own purpose. So I spent um, 15 years of my life in the corporate sector. Uh, running my own business, working for other people's businesses, running big companies. Was that in the United, uh, United yeah. States or, I mean, your Mainly, accent? I mean, the last 15 years in the U.S. I'm from France originally, but I've been in the U.S. for 15 years now. Um, I also lived in the U.K. before the U.S. Uh, so I lived in a few countries where um, I was doing corporate work or business work, I would say, uh, until I found... Uh, myself here in the U.S. and you know decided to move uh, in nature and lives you know on the land and live from my land and with my land, and uh, that's when I think everything really started to open much more quickly. Nice. So let's dive in a little bit. Um, if you consider yourself a medicine man, like I guess how let's start and just kind of define that for the audience. Like how would you describe in generally what a medicine man is? Well, in my tradition that I learned, so I've studied with uh, people from different tradition, but the main tradition I've studied with is uh, from, the, from Peru, from the Andes. Uh, and my teacher uh, is a medicine man and you know, that's, that's what we do. And for me, you know, it's someone that live on the land, work with the land and bring people to the land. And that's the medicine. The medicine is to be able to work with what we find on our land and reconnect to nature. So it's pretty simple. It's really being able to humble yourself enough so you can listen to what the land has to say and follow that guidance, trusting that those lands that we are living on have been here way longer than we are. Yeah. Uh, those trees are usually much older than we are and are going to be here after we're gone. And so we believe in, in my tradition, you know, because it's not just a belief, you know, it's something we experience uh, that they have wisdom uh, that is useful for us to find our center and to find our place back, you know, on this earth, you know, as part of uh, one being that is connected to all our relations, as we say. So the rocks and the mountains and the rivers and the forest and the animals. Right. And so medicine work is really working with all of that. Uh, very often people think of medicine people as working just with sacred plant medicine. Uh, some that people know like ayahuasca. Definitely want to get into that. Ayahuasca, wachuma, peyote, right. you know, mushroom, and other plants. And yes, that is part of it. Uh, that is an important or core part of the work. But it's also working with 
dandelion and you know little rocks in the garden and right. animals and not just yeah the what we call master plants gotcha that is okay that's a great description it, personally it's interesting i'm into you know a lot of um i guess one might call like biohacks like you know how can we interact with our biology or physiology mm-hmm. and a lot of the tools i have and technologies are really useful they're great tools but nothing seems to compare to taking a barefoot walk in the forest. Mm-hmm. Like the most simplest things that seem to be the most, just uh, getting everything out of the way between you and the earth and just allowing that connection to, to do its thing seems to have the most kind of bang for the buck from a healing perspective for me personally. And um I, I find that fascinating. So yeah, you're, I, I guess, I agree with that for sure. <laughs> so you're considered a, a shaman. Can you touch a little bit on shamanism specifically and what that means? Yeah. So, you know, the term shaman is interesting because it's quite overused now and it's originally traced back into a tradition uh, from the Eastern part of Russia. Uh, Mongolia where the name come from the name shaman so in in South America now we use the term shaman but it's not a traditional term Uh, that's not how people would call them they could call themselves medicine men that said you know one of my teachers is in England and he called himself a shaman because that's part of his tradition and that's we learn from Uh, but uh, traditionally the name is not a name you give yourself it's a name your community is giving you so that's how people call you you don't call yourself that way uh, so it, it's not really a, a title, I would say, or, uh, you know, we are, I'm very mindful about the term that we use, uh, because I want first to respect, uh, the tradition they're coming from and also, uh, making sure it comes from the right place. Uh, so some people call me that way. Uh, it's not the term I use for myself. That said, I use uh, shamanic work and, you know, I'm, I work with shamanic practices and, the work we teach in our school or what we do as, as work of service is very uh, linked to shamanism, which is probably the oldest spiritual practice on earth. And I'm not sure even spiritual practice is, is really the right term for me because for me, it's a way of life. Uh, very often I have people that contact me and say, I want to become a shaman and that always give me a little smile. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that, but, um, truth is it's a way of life. It's not really a work, a job, you know, and that way of life, uh, is deeply connected to a land is deeply connected to a work of service to our community, to the people that find us. And I think that's where some of the element of being a medicine man or being a shaman or being a helper or being someone that holds space. That's where our medicine come from. Uh, if we have this component, the land, the, the training, the teachers, the community, uh, all of that. So it has multifacets to it, which I think are very important. Obviously, we know I'm not living in the Amazon forest. I'm not living in the tundra in, uh, in Russia. Um, but there is direct access to wisdom in shamanism. Very often, you know, I tell people, you know, I say it's, yeah, you can study with me, but shamanism is a self-revealed path. 
it's a path that's going to be self-revealed through your direct connection to nature. So it's a little bit if you come to me and you say, uh, teach me how to sleep. Well, I can't really teach you how to sleep. I can tell you what you need, like a dark bedroom and you need to lay down and you need some silence and you need to close your eyes. But the experience of sleeping and really understanding what sleeping is about is within you. And that's going to happen if you put the right pieces in place. So that's how I see this path. So it's putting all those pieces, uh, you know, of that are needed in this foundation of shamanism so you can experience the shamanic path. So you can walk this path. Yeah, and exactly. very often that's what blocks people on the way or make people go on the wrong way and, and maybe use those terms in a wrong way because some of the foundations are maybe missing like a connection to the land, like a connection to ancestral teachings and prayers and ways that we, exactly. we, we use. Yeah, that sleep analogy is great. It's like, uh, ultimately, we're all our own medicine man. Yes. You know, the body knows what to do. So you could be a transplant, essentially. So like, you don't need the land that you grew up on to really connect with. You could go from, as you do, like France to, you don't have to be in the Amazon. You can go from France to New York and practice based on the connection in New York. Like the land, no matter where you are on the planet, has its wisdom. It might be a little different because of the, I guess, the plants that are available and the different things that grow in the different areas of the world. But yes, the idea I mean, is the same. Yeah, definitely there's a connection to my ancestral land, which for me is uh, Corsica, which is a small island south of France, which my family is from. Uh, there's definitely something uh, very special when I am there in terms of connection, despite I didn't grow up there. I grew up on mainland. Uh, in France. Uh, so there is definitely something there, but we are all transplant. We all migrated, we all changed. And yes, we've settled on some land. And, you know, some people have been caretaker of ancestral lands for many, many generations. But a lot of the medicine people I've worked with, some of them have been on their land their whole life and for maybe 10, 20 generations. And also many of them has been, have been displaced. You know, I've been on land that are not their original land and still, you know, have very strong medicine and a very strong connection to those land. Sometimes we are called by a land. That land I'm sitting on is not just a random place. I look online and I say, oh, I need to buy somewhere. No, I, I looked for a place of heart connection, a place that was calling me. And that's the way that land came to me. It was calling me uh, to be here. It's not me that felt like, oh, I need to live there. It's more reverse process. Uh, so we can find sometimes other places and we can find connection any place on the earth. You know, the concept of countries, borders and lands is very human centric. Yeah. Uh, you know, we say, well, this is my country and this is my place and all you of that. You can't see those lines from outer space. They, you don't yes, see them from the... outer space, it looks like <laughs> this tiny blue dot, you know, in space. If we get far enough, <clears throat> so as we take the perspective of the creator, we're all sitting on these tiny blue dots. And then that blue dot really honestly doesn't have any border. And then we realize how, you know, meaningless are those fight over, you know, this yeah. is mine and this is yours. And it's, it's, interesting. Care, share it's an interesting point because like the, the imaginary lines that we draw creates a sense of like separation where the people on the other side of the line are different. And a lot of the, I think, 
problems that we experience as humans are born out of that illusion that other people are different because they're on the other side of a line or they look different. And it's the same thing. Like a lot of the problems that we have with our, our server, it's the same thing. It's like drawing a line between us and nature as if mm. it's separate. Like we, we see the, the forest down there and there's all this air in between that we think is like, as if it's like a vacuum and that forest is somehow separate to us. But yeah, that's there's uh, really no separation. It's all energy kind of smushed together. It's all touching. And all it's all this, uh, yeah, this feeling of separation that we project out there. And yes, you know, this is a natural landscape. And if you live in the Andes in Peru, it's very different than living in the Amazon forest in Peru. People look different because the land changes us. The land speaks to us in different ways. And so each land is going to obviously because of its landscape, because of its energy, because of its plants and animals is going to influence and change you. So that's where all the cultures and traditions have shaped around the world because people have lived locally, you know, and learned locally. And so the, their medicines are different. Their traditions are different, but we can also take a little bit more of uh, altitude and see everything from the eagle site, the eagle point of view, and see the whole landscape and see that it's all connected. Like you just said, you know, it's beautiful. I live on the Delaware River. So here we are just on the edge of it. So if I cross the river, I'm in Pennsylvania. If I'm on this side of the river, I'm in New York. And it's very artificial. You know, traditionally the Lenape people were living here and it was Lenape on both sides of the river. You know, there was not like a, a different uh, way to relate or there was not like a tax system that was different right. and rules that were different when you cross the river. That's very artificial. And, uh, you know, that's sadly still something that we felt very strongly about. And uh, for most of us, it's very culturally in print. So is this like a retreat center that you work and, and live at? In yeah, it's, a, it's my home. So I live on that land and we have a, a retreat center there. So we have a, a chapel, we have a temple, uh, we have place for people coming on the land. Uh, sweat lodge, you know, all the things we need for our work. We have over, I think, 600 or 700 medicinal plants, a veggie garden, we have beehives, uh, we have place for shelter for wildlife. So there's a lot going on, on on the land so people can find that connection. You know, you might want to go sit with the bees. You might want to go sit in the temple. You might want to go sit with a medicinal plant or the rock garden you know, whatever is, is calling you. So you have an experience that's really meaningful to you. Yeah, I'm very interested in the hearing kind of structurally how that looks, you know, throughout, you know, what, what a visit there looks like. I'm looking forward to getting there uh, at some point. <laughs> I would love to um, see you and your wife and your kids. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love it. And then we'll do a, a part two follow-up podcast interview after that so I could detail my experience there. Um, but what does that generally look like? Like somebody comes for several days and it's like daily ceremony or? Yes. I mean, people come for sometimes a few hours because people are busy in New York sometime. And sometimes people say, Hey, I want to come for two days or three days. And so depending on the length of time and also what they are looking to work with, 
you know, what's alive in them in that moment, whether it's the ailments or trouble that they are facing, uh, then the time will be split between time in nature, time in ceremony, uh, time in, you know, healing work and prayers, time around the fire. Uh, it's really crafted based on what people, uh, yeah, are looking for to experience and also what they're feeling cold once they get there, you know? So it's not structured like a traditional business. And obviously, if you go on my side, there's like, oh, yeah, I can book this session for two hours and this for half a day uh, because we need to put something out there and some kind of container. But truth is, it's much more fluid than that when people come because we need to obviously see what's coming when also we meet each other and what we feel called to do. Gotcha. So uh, let's get into some of the, I guess, medicinal practices um like what are some of the staples that you use as a tool whether they're plants or meditation or mm -hmm. so we work with plants and we work with uh practices that don't use plants uh like breath work you know i do a lot of shamanic breath work here it's a big part of my practice and we have a big online community that breathes every week uh that's been quite growing in fact with the pandemic because we're all online right now uh we have practices which are around more traditional ancient practice which is working with an altar working with the fire uh working with sweat lodge uh sorry you know, what was that first one walking with the an altar, which is a prayer, a prayer space, basically, that you set up with a little cloth and sacred items on it, uh, which is a portal, uh, basically, that opens into the spirit world. Uh, so it's a very ancient way to, to connect to spirit. Uh, so it really, you know, varies a lot. And sometimes, yes, we use plants because uh, some of the elements, if people come, I don't know, with cancer or depression or some things that, you know, might require uh, some potent master plant, that's what we will be uh, doing. But it really, you know, depends uh, what people are looking. Sometimes people have, you know, a lot of healing, like I was doing a ceremony this past weekend for a couple that came here, you know, and uh, we decided to work with Hape, which is a, a medicine from the Amazon. Uh, so we did that ceremony, which took only, you know, around two to three hours. And then we did some work on the land, you know, they, they lay down on the land and we did some breathing and connection with them. And a lot of the healing was happening there. Obviously they were quite open after this ceremony, you know, a lot was moving and there was a lot of emotions and you what know, is physical, physical release and purging and things like that. Okay. So the land can support that, you know, then we go on the land and the land kind of really round the process and obviously hold us at all time. Uh, the land told me, build this and people welcome. The land told me, I'll take care of them. Just bring them here. So I'm trying as much as I can to kind of surrender into that and to allow that. So to not be in the way of what the land can provide to people. Uh, and my daily job really for me is my connection to the land. The more it's a relationship, you know, it's like my, my second partner or girlfriend, you know, <laughs> sometimes yes. it feels like my first partner and my first girlfriend. And it's like, she's really fierce and she wants me and needs me and, you know, and wants me to take care of it. And I build a relationship there. So I can 
spend as much time as I need and I need to spend a lot of time so I can really understand what this is about because it's always quite mysterious to, you know, the, we call, uh, when we do our prayer in my tradition, you know, we open the prayer by say great mystery, great spirit. But we say, we start by great mystery and that's an old prayer. That's a very ancient prayer. What do we say? Mystery people that use those ways for tens of thousands of years still call this the great mystery. And that's what we're opening. We're opening that great mystery out there and this great mystery within there, inside of us. And that's where so many possibilities of rebirth, of new self arise from, you know, trusting that there is a mystery there and then things are possible. Whatever is our belief system or faith system, you know, uh, people that are coming here that are non-believers, some people are Christian, some people are Jewish, some people are Muslim. You know, it doesn't really matter because shamanism is universal. You know, it doesn't, you can be Jewish, you can be Buddhist and still sit in those ways and it won't interfere or, yeah, be contradictive with maybe your belief system. Gotcha. You said working with that couple, you used the plant, did you say it was called hape? Hape, yeah. Can, can you double click that a little bit? What is hape? So rape is a, is a blend of... Uh, between 10 to 20 different plants. Uh, it's made in the Amazon by most tribes out there. Uh, it's a mix of mopacho, which is an original uh, tobacco, so sacred tobacco, it's called mopacho, so jungle tobacco, and other type of plants. And it's taken as a snuff, something you inhale in your nose. It's not smoked or anything like that. Uh, and each plant is selected for its healing power. So each tribe in the Amazon that makes hape makes a different hape. Uh, so for example, yesterday we were walking with, uh, with a mix of plants with a hape that comes from the tribe called the Huni Queen. And the Huni Queen, um, it's a pretty big tribe uh, and each Huni Queen village might have a different hape. That's their own medicine. It's kind of their daily medicine, things that they use every day. But they have local plants. They have a specific connection to certain plants. So they're going to do a certain mix. It's prepared over the fire with a ceremony during a full day of ceremony and prayers. And it's a very potent medicine. It's quite strong. And it's very powerful to move whatever is stuck there. It could be an idea or belief or thoughts, you know, trauma in the body, physical ailments, emotional grief or pain. Um, so it's quite as a quite large range of working on the body. It works from the physical to the spiritual, you know, going through emotions and mind. Uh, and it also works differently for every person because uh, the plant medicine, those plants, you know, they are people. They are allies. And so when they come inside of you, the first thing they do, they say hi. <laughs> and it might be a little bit intense. I'm like, oh, hi, you know? And then they look at you. They screen your body. And they look what should not be there. Because plants don't have egos. You know, they're not like, oh, you know, look at me how powerful I am. Or I see you that way and this is broken. No, the plants wants you to be aligned with the plants. With the world that is alive around us. And they look at what all that is in the way of that alignment. And very often, you know, we have a lot of way in our alignment. We have toxins in our bodies because in our food, we don't have, you know, clean food. 
or in our waters. We have toxin in our mind because of all maybe the things we watched on TV or we heard from our parents and all of that. We have unprocessed emotions because we're in a culture that doesn't allow maybe grieving or anger or whatever is present. And we have stuff in our spirit that we came to heal in this lifetime, things that we came to learn. And so those plants, they come and they help that. And that's what the ceremony is about, really to set intention, sit with that medicine and allow that plants to work. You know, it's almost like going to school and you're going to meet an amazing teacher that is millions of years old, that's been here for a very long time and that has seen so many lives and so many ways that it knows what's the best for you in that moment and surrendering into that, which is not always easy for most of us to fully surrender into the unknown. <laughs> uh, I, I could speak a little bit to that. I, I know what you mean. So you could have somebody that goes to, that has, you know, same person, same, let's say ailment or whatever obstruction of, you know, their health. And they could go to a different village and take essentially the same collection of plants, but there'll be variation based on what village they went to. But regardless of what village and what mix, the plants work will still, you still get to the same endpoint. Like uh, the plant yes, will just allow the, will provide the body what the body needs. Yeah, because that, that work really is, uh, is all about a relationship. So that medicine man in that village has a different relationship with each plant than the next village because he has a special connection. And we can, you know, bring it back home here and think about it. Let's say both you and I are going to want to do some medicine with dandelion. Let's take, you know, a very common, what we call weed, which is not really a weed, it's just right. a plant. Powerful uh, plant. And we, both of us, are going to prepare our own dandelion medicine. Well, I can bet you that your medicine and mine are going to feel different for the simple reason that our connection to that plant is different, the way we prepare it is different, and more of that, the relationship. So if you and I have a friend, even I ask you to describe that friend, and I am give a description of that friend, we're going to do probably given two different descriptions, <laughs> because that friend that you have and I have the same friend than you, you know, you see it through your lenses and I see it through my lenses. So my relationship is different. And maybe the experience with that friend is going to be different. Like when you're with that friend, say, oh, he's so funny. And we're having such a fun time. I say, I don't find this person very funny. I think he's very serious. You know, we might experience two different sides of that person. And when I bring that plant and I do my prayer and my connection to it, someone come, my, the client, as we call it, you know, I don't really like to use that term, but let's, let's use it for a lack of a better term here. When the client comes, he's going to expand that relationship. And what I'm going to bring in there, obviously the plan is going to have a direct relationship with them, but also my intention and my connection to that plan is going to make that plan to come in a different way. And so, yes, one plants uh, served by two different people, prepared by two different people might have a very different effect on you. Uh, and also who you are, you know, in that moment, that same plant that if you come for the same ceremony with the same person today, and if you come in a week, you might have a very different experience because you're not the same person because you bring something different. So it's a very alive things. 
If you take a pill because you have headaches and you pay, take Tylenol, for example, why you're pretty much sure it's going to remove your headaches and it's going to have kind of the same effect. Within 20 minutes, it's going to start fading out. Within an hour, you won't have a headache anymore. With plants, it's different because there's a relationship there. And that's what it requires, obviously, as a medicine person to really know those plants, to have a relationship to the land, to have a relationship to the plant and require some curiosity there so we can really deepen. And I know, you know, some famous herbalists out there that work only with four or five very common plants for every single ailments their clients come for. They have such an amazing and deep connection to a plant that they could use dandelion maybe for cancer and use dandelion for headaches and use dandelions for itching on your skin. You know, they are going to have only four or five allies, but they have such a deep connection that they are able to treat pretty much everything with it. That's interesting. So that's always fascinating to me when mm -hmm. I look at that. And it's amazing to know that it's a possibility there. And really what we need to do is not look for those very exotic plants that we can find in India or in Peru or somewhere else and try to see what we can find on our land in our own backyard. Even if you live in an apartment in the city, you can go in a little park nearby and find plants that are highly medicinal for you. I know that for sure. That's possible. It's interesting, the idea of the intention of the, the shaman or whoever's providing the medicine, changing how that medicine acts on the recipient. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, I could speak personal and I, maybe I should be careful because some of the content I'm going to go over, not 100% not legal, but... Um, I have a, I guess I have a relationship with cannabis. I feel like it's a, just a magical plant that's kind of here for us, always has been. And I've always been um, really blown away by the, like the robustness of its application, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, in where I live, it's legal to purchase through like the state, but it's not legal to grow, which is, silly i assume that rule will change eventually but last year somebody had I, I had stumbled upon a seed and i just like threw it i have a garden and i like threw it in the garden didn't think much of it and there is no question that whatever that seed grew worked so differently it was as if mm. that plant had a completely different relate or i had a completely different relationship with that one plant than anything I could get from the store. And it had, didn't have anything to do with like potency. I don't know mm -hmm. what the potency of what it was. What was interesting is with a very high like percentage, like every time I used it, it gave me whatever I needed. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if, it, if I had some trauma that I was working through, like whatever I needed for medicine that occasion, it's like that plant knew me, unlike all the stuff that I bought in a store that was, you know, made by, I don't know, cannabis scientists and whatever these high tech grow rooms throughout the state now. And I, I found it very, it was very clear after enough uses that like, this is different. And it's not like it's special, like it might not have done that to someone else. Yes. But yeah. like, this is something that I looked at every day. I admired, I, you know, I stood near, I touched, 
And like I built a connection with this thing and um, it wasn't, it wasn't like a placebo. It was not my mind playing tricks on me. I had enough sample size because mm -hmm. it wound up growing like way bigger than I expected. In mm -hmm. fact, I was freaked out by it because I thought like I didn't want to get in trouble. I was freaked out about how big it got. I thought it was gonna be yeah. this little thing that would kind of go unnoticed and it like took over the garden. Mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, that, because there is that a connection that you have and it's growing on your land. You yeah, know, yeah. So your land has a connection to you. So the communication between the land and that plant is unique to you. And so it's much more personal. And that's why, you know, traditionally, every medicine person or herbalist, people that work with plants, obviously didn't travel the world to get plants because it wasn't just possible, but they knew their plants so well locally, they had a relationship, and therefore the potential of the plant used to be very different than it is today. Because today we can go online, you know, and buy any plants that we want, pretty much. Right. Uh, and we might find, you know, like ashwagandha, or we might find, you know, clover, or we might find, you know, nettle leaves and things like that. But it's never going to have the potency of the plant that you grow yourself or that you forage yourself in the proper way. Because there's also a way to pick up those plants. There's a way before we take it out from the ground that we let that plant know what we're using it for. And so the spirit, you know, we believe that the spirit stays in the plant only if we do that. If not, it's just a dead material. And yes, it will have some components, some vitamins, some minerals. But here we're talking about something much deeper, a plant that's in relationship with you, the spirit of the plant. And that might still a little bit hoo-hoo for some people that might feel like, what are we really talking about here? Right. What do you mean by that? But there's definitely a difference. I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's not a belief system. You experienced it. You know, you oh, have yeah, first definitely. and proof of it and if we need more proof we can do it on our own and we'll see that if i grow something in my garden or if i forage something properly with some offerings and letting the plant know what i'm taking it i can use that plant for pretty much everything and in fact a good herbalism training a good way to train with plants is to go out with a need let's say i have kidney stones or I have headaches or I have anxiety or I can't sleep or whatever it is. And to go for a walk in the forest with that prayer, with that intention, and to see what plants is calling you. Hmm. Really relax the body. Really breathe with nature. And at some point, you're going to feel called by a plant. Or you're going to see a plant that you've never seen before. I would bet you, I mean, obviously I don't tell you to pick it up and eat it because you want <laughs> to make sure that, you know, it's safe. Most of the plants are safe out there, but there's a few plants that are not. Usually it's all very safe. You know, there's a few that are very dangerous. That's what you need to check. But I'm pretty sure if you go to look then online, you will see that it's one of the ways these plants can help. The things you were looking for. Sure. Gotcha. It happens to me so many times. And if it's not, try it. And you and it's if it's edible and you know you can use it safely, try it, and you will be surprised how it's going to work on that element. Because you might not find easily a plant online that works for grief. I mean, you might find people say, Oh, use rose and use this, you know, for your heart. And but that plant might want to work on your grief. <laughs> That's what she was calling you in the forest. She saw you were sad and she felt like I want to help you with that. And it might be nettle, for example. Nettle is not really specifically for grief. I mean, it's a very nourishing plant. It has a very nutritious property. But maybe 
healing your grief from your heartbreak is going to come from nettle. And if you look online looking for plants for grief, you might not find nettle there. So it's, I think what's difficult for people there is first, we are afraid a little bit of most of the plants of the natural world. We think most plants are out there to kill us and are dangerous, you know, from mushroom to box of trees to leaves and plants, which is really not the case. You know, most plants are quite benevolent most of the time. Uh, two, we don't have the knowledge, you know, and, but today it's very easy to go online and to do some identification and make sure what you're going to take is right. But what's the hardest is to trust ourselves that we have wisdom, that we are the medicine, that we are naturally born in nature. We are nature as the oak trees. So we don't know more, we don't know less. But the problem is that we don't believe that. We don't believe that intuition. People say, oh, I don't know. I think I make it up. I think I just invented it. Oh, it's crazy. I just saw that. But it happened to me so many times, so many times to feel that way about a plant, to find something or someone, I tell someone to do that and say, you know what, it's crazy. I found that. Started making tea with it, with the leaves of the tree or with the bark of that tree. And I'm feeling so much better. I cannot explain what's happening there. I mean, we have a, an ancestral understanding so we can explain through that. We cannot always explain through what we call modern science because, you know, ancestral healing is ancient science very old science. It's not not scientific. It's based on observation. It's based on trials and errors. So it is highly scientific in many ways. But modern science would disqualify it. And most of the time, if you type a plant name and you put it in WebMD, you will see uh, two pages of contraindication and risk first. Right, right, yeah. You know, don't take it if you have this, if you have that. I mean, it's so scary. You look at there and you feel really like it's scary. And plants because- are... Powerful. Yeah. I don't think people recognize how powerful a common, I mean, you mentioned something common, uh, dandelion earlier. Like, mm-hmm. I know I've taken dandelion in a time where I probably wasn't ready for it. And it was, it did not serve me well. Not that it wouldn't now or at another time, or if the dose was right, or if maybe I had some more guidance when I was using it. But um, it's as if, you know, I was using it for a, a detoxification purpose mm-hmm. and I had a high toxic load at the time. Like I had uh-huh. a exposure to mold toxicity and Lyme and, you know, I know that it's a bitter and it could stimulate bile flow and it could, you know, it plays a role in upregulating and facilitating some of our detoxification processes. But if, if you're not, if you're like detox like pathways aren't open and ready or Mm. if your load toxic load is too high like that could really backfire yes i've experienced that and i'm like man that was from dandelion like well i would never think anything much of that and that thing Mm -hmm. wrecked me whereas like now i've done a lot of work a lot farther along in my healing and i could probably handle it and i have a much probably more intelligent approach as far as dosing but um you know these things like you can go into a a local shop that has like, you know, a big selection of tea, your local grocery store. And there's a lot of power in that aisle that people could like take for granted and misuse. These things can be quite powerful. 
Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And, you know, a lot of more commercial brands have very low quantities of those plants at the end of the day. And those plants are pretty old. They've been foraged, maybe not in the right way. So their potency overall is not as strong as if you pick up a dandelion root in your garden and you dry it and then you make tea with it. That dandelion root, I can tell you, will have 20 to 30 times more potency than any box of whole tea that you're buying. You know, this one root is going to be like much more and you, you will have much more potency there. Uh, yeah, I would like and, to learn more about that process of how to identify and and harvest properly and take the time to put the, into the intention into the process. I've been spending a lot of time with the quarantine, adding uh, walks to my like daily routine mm -hmm. and um, mostly in the forest and, you know, getting a little bit better identifying th some things, mostly mushrooms I've been trying to identify. I haven't eaten mm -hmm. anything that I found outside, but I'm like <laughs> pick them and I'm amazed at the, the like spectrum of species or varieties that is like right in my backyard, essentially. I mean, just many, yes. dozen, maybe over, you know, five or six dozen different types that I've found. And some of them are pretty intimidating. And um, just, I guess the idea of, even though like I'm willing to take, go to a store and buy some probably, like you said, like some, watered down version some crap version when i have the real stuff right in my backyard but i don't have the confidence and the trust really to you know get that from the from the earth and then you know into my kitchen i've done it with like some morels and some things but like i have turkey tail and i have a lot of stuff like right in my backyard and it's terrifying to think of like what could ha this could go wrong you know, am I gonna, am I misjudging something and I'm gonna poison myself? But I guess that just comes with experience and, and guidance. Yeah, and then one plant at a time, you know, just like, and you know, there's this old saying and uh, belief that what grows in your garden is what you're going to need that year. And some years is gonna be a lot of dandelion in your garden and some years is gonna be a lot of yarrow and some years is gonna be a lot of plantain and some years is gonna be an, another plant and so, uh, I've learned that from beautiful teachers that they say, just pick up what's growing that year because you're going to need it. The plants always come ahead of the disease. The plants come here, you know, on an individual level on your land, but also in the collective. And that herbalist was showing me around, you know, and say, you see this year, we have a lot of that. It means we're going to have an infection this winter, a big infection, a big flu or something, because that plant is a big antiviral. Oh, that plant is for the lungs. And she's coming really big this year. It's all connected. Mm. And that sounds very bizarre that the plants would know ahead of time <laughs> what well, it might need. They've been here before a lot longer than we have. So Nature is in balance. Nature mm. knows when an imbalance is coming, it's preparing and gearing up to come back into balance. So there's always a cycle. So, you know, when the, when the light is growing, that grows the shadows and things like that. So nature tries to always keep that balance. And so we can very often, by looking at our garden, know the plants we're going to need and know what's needed for our own health because that works that way. And, you know, it might just be starting with, yes, with dandelion or with clover, you know, or with some sisal flowers or things like that. Most of what we call weed are very high medicinal potential, are very potent. 
most of them are quite safe. You know, even dandelion, you know, is quite safe. Obviously, if you don't take tons of it, you know, at once, if you never took it before, you know, we always say, even if it's safe, just start slowly to see your own connection to that plant, your own reaction to it, because some allergies and things like that are possible. But that's possible with any medicine. Right. You know, you can go to hospital tomorrow and have a, an anesthesia or an antibiotics and make a big reaction. So it's always possible out there, you know. So there's much more safety, I believe, you know, in those ways that in the modern ways that we have been using. And there's for sure less toxicity because those plants don't, they know our bodies, our body knows them. So they are much more in symbiotic relationship than we know or that we trust. Some of the medicinal ones look so interesting too. There's on the path that I walk along um, the, the road that I live off of, there's, I saw last year, it was probably in the summer, so it's probably, I got to start checking, but uh, there's some thistle that grows and I found, I saw a milk thistle for the first time last year. Mm. And I know that this is like a, a fairly commonly used uh, medicinal plant and I, I'm looking at this thing and it's got the flower on it and it looks like it's just from another world. I mean, it, it looks, first of all, really dangerous. I mean, it looks like it'll hurt if you touch it. And <laughs> definitely it looks like it'll kill you if you try to eat it. But if you go to the emergency room with some type of liver toxicity, there's a good chance you're going to get milk thistle given to you. I mean, it's, and you look at it and like, it looks like this alien creature that is, you know, telling you to stay away. It's a, it's, I don't know, I find them fascinating. What are some of the other plants that I guess you rely on in, you know, your, your practice, whether you personally for like your routines or for your healing practices or ceremony that you facilitate for your guests? Well, we, we use a lot of uh, local plant and mushroom like reishi, for example, you know, it's a very big year for reishi. I've been collecting a lot. In fact, after this call, I'm going to go out and I found nice. a patch and I want to finish harvesting it because it's ready for harvest. Uh, you know, and reishi is just an amazing medicine uh, that you can use, you know, in your smoothie and in your cooking and just like really an amazing uh, supporter of your immune system and regulators of hormones and, you know, anti-cancer and all of that. Uh, we use a lot of trees, essence and barks and leaves or needles like, you know, cedar or pine that we have a lot around here. What would you uh, use pine needles for? Pine needles is amazing as a tea for breathing. So it's a perfect medicine for right now for you mm. know increasing your breath capacity, uh, being able to breathe better. Uh, I find it quite relaxing. Uh, if you have a very young pine that's just shooting out the very, very light green shoots out, they're very soft. You can also eat them like that. It's a, one of the highest uh, content of vitamin C you can find in nature five to six times an orange, you know, in just that little tip. So you can just pick them up and eat them. They are very lemony, kind of lemon, you know, uh, taste, and they are very soft when they just come out. So they are easy to eat. And if they're too hard, you can just make a tea out of it or a decoction, which is like a longer tea. Uh, and uh, you can have a lot of vitamins from it. So you can use the barks of certain trees, like the apple tree, you know, you can use the bark of an apple tree. New York state has a lot of apple trees. 
a lot of old orchards that were abandoned. And sometimes the apple obviously are not looking good and you know, they're old and they're kind of crippled and they have insect in them, but you could use those apples to make apple cider vinegar, for example. You know, it's very easy to make apple cider vinegar instead of buying it. So, you know, learn to do your own medicine and apple cider vinegar is something you can use in your household for pretty much everything. Uh, if you replace your uh, softener for, you know, in, uh, in your washing machine by apple cider vinegar, it works amazingly well. You know, like as well as softener, you won't have any smell of vinegar in it and you don't have to use chemicals on your laundry instead of that. Uh, it works amazingly well for your hair and your skin. So in the bathroom. Oh, for my hair? What can it do for this? Yeah, for your hair, it probably works <laughs> even better. <laughs> so, you said the, the bark. So you use the bark of an apple tree too? What would you use the bark yeah, for? Yeah, so the bark of the apple tree is, uh, is used for, it's a more spiritual use of it. It's used to open your heart. Okay. It's used for heart tenderness. So if you want to get into your heart and that, you can just make... Uh, a tincture of uh, the apple tree bark. So you take just a little bit of barks, you know, on one of the big branch or some smaller branch uh, and put that in a little bit of alcohol and water, let it sit for three or four weeks, shake it every day. And then you can use that for heart medicine. Who doesn't need heart medicine? You know, who doesn't have some grief sometimes, some sadness, some heartbreaks, you know, uh, especially in the world of today. I think we need to look at plants that support the nervous system a lot plan that support our heart, plan that support, support our bodies, because it's pretty intense what's happening. And so let's use our local medicine. It costs nothing. Literally, this is free medicine. There's enough for more than everyone out there and still plenty left for wildlife. It's interesting. Like the pharmaceutical industry, it seems, and you know, this isn't true in all cases, but it seems like there's a theme where a lot of the medicines out there are basically laboratory versions of a compound that already exists naturally. Like the, the earth is already providing this, but there's really no like money in it. So they make it in a lab so you could patent it and charge, you know, and, and build an industry off it. Yeah. But their work, the reason they work is because we already have an infrastructure for it to work on and there's already something that exists that acts on that infrastructure like whether it be a certain pathway um in our body but the the mechanism of action is is detailed because there's already something there that can that can work and uh, that's fascinating in fact i think i listened years ago to a representative from a pharmaceutical company that said they actually have people that work for the company that basically follow the medicine men in different countries to see like, what are you digging out of the ground? Like, what are you healing your community with? Yeah. And then they learn and then they take it to the lab and they recreate it. And you make a good point. It's way cheaper. I remember when I stalked, I talked to an herbalist, worked with an herbalist for the first time I was getting off. Uh, when I got Lyme disease, I was put on antibiotics, which I really didn't want to do. But in that case, right at that time, it seemed like uh, a safe thing. It seemed like the best option. And I had a lot of fear. I couldn't really make a good decision anyway. I was so scared. But when I was done with it, I transitioned to work with an herbalist. And one of the first things she gave me or told me to do was like eat garlic. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, what do you mean garlic? And, uh, you know, a couple cloves a day, chop it up, wait about five or 10 minutes, and then just, you know, take it like you're having a shot of booze and just chase it down with some water. And, um, and I was amazed at like, how, what a powerful treatment that was. And then I went into the research and I found all this literature on this medicine that's been used for like thousands of years. And then it dawned on me, like this organic bulb of garlic was like 70 cents. So like, mm. like that's why nobody knows about it because there's just yeah. no money in it. I mean, everybody's know when like people know it's a blood purifier, you know, it's a really strong medicine. Uh, you know, it's a very powerful spirit, as we say, garlic, you know, so you can do even what we call dieta, which is sitting with one plant for a month and really go deep on your relationship with one plant. It's a traditional way where you take a lot of that plant for a month and you really see what's happening and mm. connect to it. And you can do dieta with garlic like you would do with ayahuasca in the jungle or like we would do with some master plants. So it's a powerful, powerful spirit. You know, a lot of the plants that um, taste very strong <laughs> or feel kind of strong, I'm thinking of nettle. You touch a nettle, you know it's a strong plant. You know, right, right. it warns you, tells you I'm <laughs> strong. A lot of those plants have a lot of potency, and they express it, you know, through their taste, through the way they look like, through maybe things like that. And very often, most of them are safe, and some of them, you know, poison is medicine, and medicine is poison. It's all a dosage perspective. Um, Foxglove, you know, which grows around here, which is really beautiful, tall plant, like with a you know, hundreds of tiny flowers on it and so many colors, stunning plants, highly toxic. Uh, but uh, for the heart, it can create a heart attack if you take a, lot, a little bit of it. So, you know, it's a dangerous plant in that respect, but it's used in the Western medicine for heart treatments, for people that have heart problems. So it's a base for one of the strongest, still the strongest medicine for the heart in the Western world today. What was that called? Fox? What? Foxglove. Foxgrove? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or digital, digitalis, you know, the, the Latin name. And you, you know? mentioned ayahuasca. Do you use psychedelics a lot in your practice? Or? Yeah, we do a retreat in Peru and we bring people there and, you know, we, we do work with those plants. Uh, you know, part of the Native American church, you know, there is use of, of sacred plants too uh, for ceremonies. Obviously, those are... Um, a different level of power than we talked right, right. about. Uh, they are quite extraordinary. I mean, they definitely saved my life and put me on my life track. And I've seen them saving life of so many people from so many different things. Uh, it sounds but here like it's not something you do on your own and that you would just pick up and try. You know, this is something you, you want people that have a very deep experience and holding the space and also have a tradition that knows how to serve those plants and take care of those plants. Yeah, they seem that they, they demand a lot of respect. It seems yeah, like there's a lot of like progress in the medical field in using them. I, I've been listening to uh, some content around the research that's being done, actually pretty local to me. I'm in Maryland and uh, Johns Hopkins University is not mm -hmm. far from, from me. And it sounds like there's quite a bit of research being done there that the, the outcomes that I've heard so far seem like just really exciting especially when you compare it to um, like the pharmaceutical next best options that are more commonly used, uh, especially with, I guess, things like um, addiction issues and 
And yeah, addiction, you know, uh, or depression, for example, which is very common. You know, some plants out there work so well and so efficiently and so quickly and with so little or no side effect at all. You know, I'm definitely not against Western medicine. I want to make that clear. And if you break your legs, don't come to see me. Go to the hospital <laughs> and get your hair, you know. And I think for cancer and other things, working in collaboration would be so much has so much more potential you know many things be working with a traditional herbalist medicine world person and a western doctor will have much more benefic effect than just choosing one or the other sometime right so it's really not trying to separate here and say well one is bad and one is good uh, i think both bring something very different and it's true that something that's very acute and strong sometimes western medicine is immediate things but more uh, Eastern medicine or traditional medicine is going to look at the cause. Why this happened in the first place? Why did you get this cancer? Yeah. Why this hormonal imbalance happen? Why do you have anxiety? And go to the root of it for long-term healing and not just solving the crisis there. So we need crisis medicine. We need those Western medicine sometimes. And there is sometimes crisis medicine also in plant, traditional plant medicine use. Uh, but for what's chronic, what's long-term, like the Lyme disease, like you said, you know, you had it, you took antibiotic, great, but we know Lyme can stay in the body, oh, yeah. you know, for years and go dormant. That's where the plants are good allies. That's where there's amazing plants there that can clear your body, that can really clean. I got Lyme many, many years ago, you know, I got the antibiotic thing for 10 days, I think, or two weeks, I can remember. And then I went on a very deep treatment for months to heal my body. And you know, it's been four years or five years and I haven't had one symptom, I've had it again. That's great. You know? So is it because I'm different and maybe, you know, I would not I need those plants or is it because of the plants? Well, I don't know. What I know is that I feel really good. Those plants really help me, you know, really cleans my body after the antibiotic treatments. So I didn't get the side effect of it. So collaboration is how nature's works, you know, they collaborate. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, chronic, I think most illness is kind of the chronic illness. And I think everybody is either experiencing some form of chronic illness or they know somebody, somebody close to them. I mean, there's so much of it and it seems like the plant world and fungus world, fungi world, whatever, offers a tremendous tool for us to be tapping into to support our own healing systems or healing ability. But that being said, yeah, you're right. Western medicine, if you get in a car accident and you're on the street and your spleen is on the outside of your body instead of the inside of the body, um, dandelion's probably not doing much for you. You need somebody to, to put that thing back in your body and sew you up. And, you know, we are, we should be grateful for the advances that have come out of the Western medicine model. Yeah, and yet you're going to suffer maybe an emotional trauma and some PTSD of your car accident and taking some plants immediately that can help ease the nervous system and that can support you after following that PTSD or that trauma of these accidents could be really, really useful and help you on the long term. You know, so it's really looking, okay, you know what, what I do in both situations and what, what can help me the best uh, and to recover our power, you know, to recover our health, which is so yeah. important. Yeah, supporting the nervous system is so interesting when you're, when you're talking about healing, because we're also, we're exposed to just so much stress and 
if you're trying to heal from something, the body, you know, like there's all this signaling going on. Like if it's in a stress environment, it doesn't know that it's supposed to be healing now. Like it still mm -hmm. think if it thinks it's in a fight, it's not in that healing mode. And sometimes you have to, I think, work at the very kind of top of the pyramid in a way, like go like work on the nervous system just to provide an environment where the body is calm and relaxed. And then your brain could take that as a signal. A lot of the information our brain gets really is coming from the body mm -hmm. and taking the system that like, oh, we're safe. We can start to repair. This is the yeah. time to rejuvenate. We're not in the fight right now. And uh, sometimes I think that's a step that's really overlooked where the meditation and the breath practices can come in and play such a big role where you could take all the plants you want or all the western modalities and if you're not like relaxed it doesn't really matter if you're not sleeping and you're not telling your body like there's time here that you can do your work i'm going to get out of your way so you could do your work and yeah that's something that really gets overlooked especially around uh trauma i think because the brain from what I understand, can really get stuck in stress responses when you've experienced trauma. No, and it doesn't. I don't think it really matters what form the trauma comes in. Yeah, I mean, it's more the nervous system than the brain. Uh, you know, it's our parasympathetic and sympathetic system. So it's our vagus nerve that's dysregulated right, exactly. yeah. and that gets stuck in trauma. I mean, I focus on trauma. This is the main work I do. You know, I train in somatic and trauma work and body work related to trauma. I'm fascinated by trauma. You know, it's something that yeah, I'm really attracted to. Uh, yeah, it's very complex. And yet, you know, there's a lot of research that has been done on how trauma works and how the body heals trauma, either being physical trauma, or physical abuse or accidents or emotional trauma, you know, sometimes trauma can be just very little, like uh, someone screaming at you. But if it happens during your childhood for 10 to 15 years, that's going to create trauma. You know, also trauma is very, very different from one person to another. You and I might experience the same event in our life. And one of us might get PTSD and the other one might not. Because our resilience state that we were in when the trauma happened is going to be indicative of our capacity to recover. If we are already stressed, if our body is already not healthy because of food or other things, if we are emotionally quite saturated and dysregulated, any small things that happen to me might get me into what we call trauma, which is basically my body today experienced something that happened in the past and is kind of stuck there. It's not really what happened. It's just that the echo of the past keep coming in the present. And that's going to depend a lot of my capacity of self-regulation, which is how resilient am I in that moment when trauma or something stressful happened. And obviously, we're living in a world that has a lot of trauma on the collective level, as individual level. Uh, you know, our grandparents uh, went to World War II and our parents, you know, were born after that war. I mean, at least for my generation, there is all the, you know, other traumas from slavery to uh, colonizations and many of the things that happened, the race and issues that is in the collective. 
So our body are so wired to pick up on stress that if there's stress in the collective and trauma in the collective, we cannot be immune to it. You know, we have to feel it. And most people sometimes don't feel it because we numb it. Yeah. With alcohol, with many ways to escape that. I've done that quite so a bit. <laughs> we need to build our resilience because the world is complicated. The world is not always easy. You know, it's not always easy to love the world. You know, sometimes it's like, oh my God, you know, why am I here at this moment? Why is it so tough? And so to be able to feel it all, to stay with our heart open, to stay engaged in the world, not being out of it, not disconnect to spiritual bypassing of practices. And no, stay engaged with the world, with my community, with what's happening. And stay regulated, stay centered, finding ground. We need to build our resilience. And all those ancient practices, from plant medicine to those ceremonies to all that type of work, is providing that nourishment that is needed for the body and the nervous system to go back into what we call regulation. And stay still in the storm. Yes, yet sorry stay engaged you know so it's a tricky place some people are very engaged in it but completely dysregulated and exhausted by it and taken by it because they don't have enough regulation some people are so numb and disconnected that it's not their problem or they're not feeling it or they're devastated by it and they have addiction you know they have things to numb the pain i mean there's so much addiction in our world today from opioid addictions to alcohol addictions to, you know, alcohol. I mean, just everything, you know, yeah. it's like so many ways to escape. That's a sign if you were a medicine man in a traditional culture and in your village, 70% of people are numbing in some ways that there is something to address in the community. That no, there's not a person that's broken there that has an issue. We don't say, oh, that person is drinking because they have a problem. We say, no. What we as a collective have created, so that person is experiencing that. It's a collective responsibility. And so I think today in the world, we're seeing that because we're all in that same ceremony of the COVID. We're all in that same ceremony of that racial tensions. You know, either we agree or not that we support it or not. Either we think it's conspiracy theory or it's not true or whatever. We are in it as a collective. And we have a choice to do what's right or not. We have a choice to stay engaged and act or not. And the path, that shamanic path we're talking about, is a space where, a path where we're engaged. We stay connected. We stay in service. You know, so we come together to heal. We walk that path alone. We do our self-healing together, alone together. That's what it is. Because we heal as a collective. We heal in a circle around the fire. We heal when we are here, like talking to each other and learning from each other and being curious and, you know, not like, oh, I know more, or you know more, or, you know, I know better. No, it's like, let's find places there where we learn and when we grow. That's the place of healing. And that's, I think, you know, plant medicine is ancient ways they have all those tools to stay connected, to stay connected to self, to the land, and to each other. 
And that's so needed right now. I mean, it's quite obvious to me that it's yeah. either we're going to embrace this way or we can continue going apart from each other. And nature doesn't really support very much any part of it that wants to not be connected. <laughs> At yeah. some point, it's kind of get rid of it. You know, it's either you're in or you're out, but there's no like, I take and I don't give. That yeah. doesn't happen in nature. So we can't, we won't be able to avoid it anyway. That's beautifully said, man. Uh, it's interesting. I, I've heard it say like, you can't have, you can't have the part healthy without the whole healthy. Like you're right. We collectively need to be healing together and, and to stay engaged. And um, that is, that is really well put. I want to respect your time here. There's a lot more I want to talk about. Um, I want to maybe just touch on one more subject so that we could wrap it up with a reasonable amount of time, but there's something on your, on your list of modalities that stood out to me that I, I definitely feel connected and curious about. And that's around sound. You mentioned mm -hmm. that you use sound in your, uh, as medicine. And, um, you know, it's funny, I have this device at my house that is, I guess, a sound therapy machine on some level. And um, it's been pretty profound. And it's sound that you don't even hear. You just kind of hold it on your body. And, I'm, and it's clearly doing something. Uh -huh. And um, I'm curious, how, how do you look at sound as a, as a tool to be, to interact with? And, and how, you know, what does it do for you? Well, I think it's, very key vibration sounds you know i woke up that morning and i you know live on a beautiful land surrounded by forest and i came out and it was a concert of birds <laughs> nice. all the sound and i felt so good immediately there was so much joy and life and you know some birds were happy some birds were sounding the alarm because they saw me or my cat uh, you know, so there was all the sounds and those vibration and we are a body of sound. You know, we are sounding right now. We are speaking, we are singing like the birds, you know, we have a capacity to make sound, which is very unique to some of us and some of the birds and, you know, some animals. So there's also a lot of study now that we know certain vibration, certain frequencies can open our energy channel. There's in fact very scientific studies on people with PTSD and trauma with some specific frequencies put in their ears, their nervous system immediately go back into regulation. There's that's what's called the heart frequency that some Tibetan balls are tuned onto the heart. Right. That when you use that note, I believe it's a D note, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, but there's that I would, frequency. I would sing that for you guys, but I won't do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> that when you do that, we can measure your blood pressure dropping. We can measure with a blood test, your stress hormone dropping. We can measure your endorphin going up. We can measure the tension in your muscles dropping. So I think what's powerful about sound and music in general, is that it bypasses the conscious mind. It's not really something you have to think about. You know, you're hearing a sound and, I mean, you can have an experience and results about it and it's pleasant or not, 
But if I put a singing bowl on, on, your, on your chest and you're laying down and I put that vibration, you're going to be transported there. Ooh, so however busy that. your mind is, how much you think this is bullshit or not, <laughs> doesn't really matter because the sound doesn't care and your body doesn't care. So they are going to be in communication and sounds go really deep. You know, it's going to cross your body. It's going to go through it in every cell. It's going to go into your bones, really into the center. Every cell, you know, of our bodies, we have billions of cells. It's a little membrane with some liquid in it. And in it, in that, there is a DNA that's flooding. There is, you know, RNA. There is mitochondria. They're flooding in a liquid. And we all know, I mean, if you put some water in a sound bowl or you can also put a, just a bowl of water on your sound speaker and put the music quite loud, you're going to see the vibration. Move, going yeah. to sound. And it's usually quite beautiful design, quite geometric. So that's what's going to happen when I sing to you, when I use my flute, my drum, my Tibetan bowls. That's happening in every single cell of your body. There's going to be this micro vibration. And so that can heal in a very, very deep way into the body. And very often, you can even access uh, what we call altered state of consciousness. You know, you might journey like literally you're on psychedelics. You know, like literally you start having visions, you see colors. I've experienced that. Yeah. I've experienced that from simple chanting practices, sessions of humming and chanting where I'm clearly uh, shifted the activity in my brain and it does feel like a a taste of, you know, the flavor of of psychedelic experience. Yeah. uh, Very useful. I've known people I come back after a sound bath after one hour and say, my God, I talked to my grandmother who passed mm-hmm. away 20 years ago. And That's she cool. told me something that she never told me. And, and like things they can verify after that. So yeah, we can enter this alter state and this alter state of consciousness, like the dreaming state, like the shamanic joining state, which is a daydreaming state, are deeply healing. They allow our subconscious to process information because the mind gets out of the way. So there's more space for the subconscious to come in. And so we can process information in ways that is much harder when we are a lot in our mind. And I think in today's world, you know, we're a lot in our mind, obviously. A little bit, yeah. And sound is a very easy entry point into alternative healing ways. I don't really like calling them alternative. It's you know? not alternative. <laughs> you know, because it sounds like, what do you mean alternative? No, What's I think, in the hospital setting is what's alternative. Yeah. This is the natural. Exactly. And now, you know, as you're speaking of it, some hospital are using those modalities, energy modalities, as we call them. So sound healing or Reiki or breath work in the context of healing. The Colombian Presbyterian Hospital in New York City, so the big, you know, Columbia Presbyterian is a big hospital, very famous in New York City, Upper West Side. Cancer uh, patients go there and they do heart transplantation. And one of the most famous heart transplant surgeons in the country that do surgery there. As a Reiki practitioner in his surgery room now, because oh, that's cool. he doesn't believe in it. He's very, he's very clear about it. He says, I don't believe in it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but when there is that practitioner that, that does whatever they're doing, 
I have less problem in my surgery. There is less bleeding. The patients recover faster. Good. We don't lose patients. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in supporting my patients there. So I don't care if I don't get it, if I don't really believe in what's going on there. The truth is I've compared, there's a huge difference. My team is less stressed. I'm less stressed. Somehow something is happening. That's beautiful. You know, people that are that open to those ways. And that's what I pray very often and hope that we get to experience that in this lifetime, that we have healing centers that are not just cold hospital with no plants and no soul, with beautiful people that give their life to this work, those nurses and those doctors that would so much benefit also from those alternative ways that would get so much support. You know, talk about our veterans. You know, how much is really due for veterans today that very often fall into addiction or homelessness? Yeah. How terrible is that? Terrible is that? You know, so now I've heard, you know, the Native American church is doing sweat lodges for, for veterans or for army people. And the results are amazing on PTSD. So there's so much need of healing. And let's not re restrict it to just taking one pill. Right. You know, or using a scalpel. Sometimes it's needed, but sometimes there's something else that can really help. And I really pray that we can do that. And sound is so easy. You know, you don't have to take anything in your body. You don't have to have a drum and a fire. And it can sound a little bit like too crazy for some people. You just have someone playing music to you or singing to you or using a bowl. And we all love music. Most people, you know, love good sounds. And it's a direct experience into something very different that's so relaxing for the body. If it's just that, if you just feel more relaxed, how amazing is that? Yeah. In the world everybody, today, everybody wants to feel more relaxed, yeah. no? A little bit for 10 minutes. Yeah. And everybody can relate to that. Some, at some point, everybody's put on a song or heard a song mm. and they've noticed their mood change. Like you've created a, a change in your internal environment just from how you're interpreting those sound waves. Yeah, and you know, traditional healers, so medicine people or shamans, as we call them, the song they use in their ceremony are songs that are given to them by the plants. It's not song that they learn from anybody. It came to them in ceremony. The plants told them, sing this, sing that. Hmm. Those songs, they're called Icarus, are deeply healing. Deeply healing. It's like hearing something you've never heard before, and that's like piercing deeply into your heart. And how does it work? Why does it work? I don't really know. You know, last night, a very dear medicine sister in Peru. Hello, Leti, if you ever listen to this. I love you. So she's a beautiful medicine woman that we work with when we do our retreat in Peru. And she posted that song she recorded online. And she posted it on Facebook. And I listened. It was the evening. And just turned that on. I said, oh, I'm going to listen to her. I love her voice. I went into deep tears in that song. Whatever was happening, whatever she was singing there moved me so much. And I felt so good when I woke up this morning. I know it's because of that song. Somehow, and I messaged her this morning and we had a chat, in fact, right before this podcast talking about it. I said, sister, whatever that song is, this is medicine. You know, so... Medicine comes in so many ways. So that's why when we say medicine man, medicine woman, what is my medicine as a person? 
so many ways, so many ways, you know, that's and great. that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of this rainbow of humanity that we all carry something that is medicine for this world. And uh, might be our voice, might be a connection to plant, might be our heart, might be our land. There's so many things, you know, and uh, yes, that's, that's the way, that's the path. That's a revolution, by the way. I think it's a big revolution if we go into that world. I hope so. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I, um, I'm grateful that you kind of gave us your, your, um, your insights there. I think it's, it's clear that you have a lot to offer the world. And um, you know, I'm grateful that we're a part of your journey, too. If, if folks out there want to connect with you and reach out to you, how should they go about doing that? Uh, they can go on my website at uh, the sanctuary like a sanctuary heal h-e-l.com the sanctuary heal.com or they can find me on instagram at the sanctuary ny the sanctuary ny and are you uh, open for guests now during the yeah we're opening pandemic? for small gathering outdoor gathering and one-on-one -on -one, you know so i've been seeing clients and things like that we do a lot online still because a lot of shamanic work can be done remotely you don't need to be in the same room. It doesn't matter much. Oh, okay. That's uh, good to know. But uh, yeah, space and time is the funnest thing in that world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, great. Uh, I look forward to following up with you and, and trying something online or hopefully bringing the fam up there and, and getting the, the full experience. And then uh, for the listeners out there, if, when that happens, um, you know, we'll do a follow-up and, and maybe detail how that experience went and give people, uh, you know, a little bit more insight of, of what a visit would look like and, um, and share that with the audience. That would be great. I would love to, to welcome you on the land, definitely. So anytime you want to visit, and if not, yeah, online, we do, you know, weekly shamanic meditation, shamanic breath work once a week, every Saturday night. It's free for people that want to join. So that's all through Zoom and can be accessed through your website? Yes, it's, you know, free and open for donation and people can join. We have a big community that keeps connecting every week. In the last three months, that's been quite amazing during the pandemic and, or, you know, in person, if you're around at the corner, please come visit and come say hi to the bees and uh, the river here. <laughs> that is great. Um, I respect your time here. Thanks again for, for having the conversation. I've really enjoyed so this. Got a lot out of it, brother. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person one day and doing some more work. And uh, for the listeners out there, I want to thank you. Grateful for you guys tuning in today and, and giving us your listening. It's, um, it's been an honor to be a part of your guys' journey too. I hope you've gotten some value out of this and, um, you know, stay tuned for more episodes and Angela, I will let you go now. And, uh, just again, thank you for taking the time. It's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much, brother. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I sure did. Listening to Angel talk about the inner wisdom that the plants have is I find a really fascinating topic and his passion really comes through you could hear in his voice. I hope you found something of value in the conversation that you feel is applicable where you could go inward in your own life and find a way to build a stronger connection with nature and see what kind of medicine that you can find within yourself that could be born out of that relationship with nature and really allowing nature to to do its thing. If you want to find out more and reach out to Angel and maybe explore some of his retreats or working one-on-one -on -one with him, you could check him out 
at the heel at the sanctuaryheal.com that'll be linked in the description again i hope you enjoyed the episode and if you are enjoying these episodes please do me the favor and just go to your podcast player and, and place a review i would greatly appreciate it again i'm grateful for your listening i hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day